Hello, listening people. <laughs> Ew, you, you, icky. you scared me for Scary Month, Ryan Slewinski. Thank you, Ictek, brother of Bartek. We see Bartek only comes out when it's uh, St. Patrick's Day recordings, but Ictek is here for Spooky Month. Ooh. Yeah, but ba- ba- Bartek, uh, he uh, he's not scared of anything. I am. I'm the I'm the scared one. Eeky Bartek, but no, let's get real, uh, let's get serious, as well as scary. We are Spit and Polish Presents, likingly, because we're always spitting, and we both happen to be Polish, and are there any customs or traditions that Poland does at this time of year? Is there anything October-related that Poland does uniquely or specifically, would you say? Uh... Not that I can think of. They don't. They don't have their Polish version of Halloween. They don't have Bartekin. <laughs> Bartekin. Yeah, Bartekin. Uh, my mum's my birthday's on October. Does that count? That's spooky. You heard that here. Bartek's mum is Halloween. It's confirmed. Uh, sorry to tell you that Bartek's mum, who knows who I am and recognizes me on site immediately <laughs> when she sees me, uh, and obviously knows me from voice as well. She listens to the podcast. She's today. She messaged me to say he's very tall, and she is very short. So. There's an information for you all to know. I'm tall and Bartek's mum's short, but what does that make Bartek? Well, if you've listened I'm, I'm to the podcast, torn between he two worlds. argues that he's average Australian male height, but guess what? The internet says otherwise, but let's not get into that debate again. We are here to talk about movies, and we have a recommendation cycle to our films, but it is October. October is that time of year where things have a little bit more of a creep factor to it, and we go out of our way to look over movies that have a more spooky, creepy... mm, Hmm, is this that time of year where you want to watch out for spiders crawling up your leg type films? The horror movies, the supernatural films, whatever they may be, those ones that just have a certain uh, a certain flavor to them. And it is the, the listening people's recommendation, Bartek. Uh, usually, you know, it, it starts out with you, then it goes to me, and then the listening people. Yeah, that's and how it usually is, and it's no different this time. I kicked off the month. And now it's the listening people who are picking it up and running with it. And uh, a friend of a friend of mine recommended this a, a while back, and I'm just like, oh yeah, I'll I'll note that down mentally. And you know, I did noted it down mentally. Uh, what film are we discussing on the pod this time, Bartek? I also noted it down mentally after you told me last week. Hence, I can answer this question. The movie in question is The Black Coat's Daughter from 2015, I think? 2015. It also goes by the title February, which is in relation to the time of year that this uh, story is so in. So we, we've, we've watched it in the wrong month then. <sighs> yeah. You know what did happen in uh, October 2015? Did we start the podcast? Yeah. Isn't that the scariest thing of all? Well, the, mm? the movie guy turns blue. We started with uh, the horror film Big Fat Liar, starring <laughs> everyone's favorite slasher, Freddy. 
Freddy. Fuck, Frankie. <laughs> Munez, Frank- sorry. Frankenstein. We Yeah. <laughs> Where his monster was Paul Giamatti's runaway performance. No one could stop it, not even fire. And, and, and the I Razzies. I, I think I've, I've... Wait, that film get Razzies? Oh, he got nominated. We we talked about this. For, uh, uh, Paul Giamatti got nominated for a Razzie, but everyone agreed that he was not worthy of it. He also, I do believe, got nominated for Big Mama's House, I think. Mm. But I know he got nominated for a Razzie for his performance in uh, Big Fat Liar. Or we, at the same time, I think he was nominated for an Oscar. So <laughs> whatever. Who cares? It's the Razzies. They are so inept that recently they 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 came across the notion that perhaps they shouldn't have children be nominated as terrible actors because it's bullying. And the child in question they nominated, everyone agreed, yeah, the movie, which was Firestarter, was not a good film, but their performance was actually good within it. But you're just picking on a child because you're you're easy target. And and Razzies crossed their legs and said, oh, jeez, oh, boy, did we screw the pooch on this one? Oh. Never forget that The Shining was also uh, a Razzie affair. <laughs> so great, great institution. But we are talking about The Black Coat's Daughter, a film from, yes, 2015. And that's going to be relevant to the conversation. I'm going to bring that up in a little bit. But I want to know from you, Bartek, how you would pitch this film to someone. So you have no history with this. You hadn't seen this before coming into this discussion, correct? Yes, this is one of the ones where I had to look up the episode description for last week's episode to find the title. So tell everyone what you would say this is about if you're trying to sway someone to give it a look for themselves. Uh, Well, the basic synopsis of this one is that in a was it a rural town? I think it's rural-ish. In a rural-ish town there is a, a private girls school, Christian clearly, um that is just about to go on their like spring or autumn break or something like that. I would assume winter, winter, from how cold it looked in this film. Well, it's just the film opens with the word February, so I was like, oh, is it February? Is that Was that an establishment of the time? Yeah, I imagine, so maybe you're right. So, yeah, so spring, I think someone even says spring break. Yeah, probably, but they're on break. They're about to be on Basically, school break. Basically, there is a break happening, and it's, it's a, like, dorm school, mm-hmm. and uh, this school clearly has a rule that, like, oh, no one is at this school or the dorms, like, during the break. Um, but there are two girls who, for various reasons, have to stay a few extra days because their family can't pick them up. One of them is a relatively popular girl, and one of them is a sort of creepy girl, unsettling, shy, creepy kind of girl. Um, And, well, I guess that's how it kicks off. as as it goes on a little bit, like the creepy girl starts saying very weird things. Tensions rise. Tensions rise, and uh, it leads to things happening. Meanwhile, um, it, in a town somewhat to the south, um, a woman has escaped a hospital of some sort, 
and is getting a ride to the town immediately after the setting of the previous mm-hmm. uh, of the story. town that the stories uh, the the school is in, and that's a great way to kind of give a little little bit of a tease. But yes, this is a slow horror film. This is one of an atmospheric variety, very minimal dialogue. Uh, so check it out for yourselves, the black coat's daughter. This is the topic of conversation, so we're going to get into details, some spoilers, go deeper and heavier with it. Uh, I have seen this film before because I got recommended it by the person who recommended it today, and I checked it out and I just went in blind. I, I did not know who was in it, I did not know who was directing it or wrote it, I didn't know much about it. I, I think I saw this in maybe 2018, 2019, and I I had a good time with it. I thought it was really well made. I, I, I enjoyed the central performances. The atmosphere of the film was very detailed and immaculate. I'm a sucker for the horror in an empty school setting, that kind of fun we we've done that in a more i guess comedic variety with something like Jennifer's body right where you had horror stuff happening on the school campus after hours and then you have the school coming back in and being like holy crap what's going on here it's to a lesser extent cutting class as well cutting class and it's a little pleasure of mine when it comes to movies when it's a horror setting of a school but not during school time but in the after hours hours. take away the liveliness of a place that's often very lively and fill it with blood and i have thought about this movie from time to time it's become a little bit more relevant as the horror movie uh horror movies over the last few years have really shifted to be a lot more like this one. There's this phrase that I hate and loathe called elevated horror, which <laughs> indicates that horror was never elevated in the first place, but it is it is the essence of it is this more slow-paced, artfully done, highbrow, the, uh, the, 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 the type of thing where it's very much about themes rather than the scares themselves. There's been a lot of emphasis put on films of that variety in horror, and I can't help but think about The Black, the black Coat's Daughter being exactly like uh, the ones we get now, but it was uh, a few years ahead of of those, and uh, I can't wait to g- get into that a little bit because I have some some strong words about just that element of this film's existence. But the Black Coat's daughter, you had no real knowledge of anything going in. You had to look up the title in our description from the last one. I couldn't remember if it was son or daughter. Ah, basically, <laughs> so. Tell us a bit about any preconceived notions, any ideas of what this could have been, and your overall experience sitting down, watching it, and coming out. Yeah, not really any notions. Just I hear the word black coat. I imagine some tall figure that wears a a coat that's perchance black. Um, and you know what kind of what kind of daughter would this black coat wearing figure have? Uh, so yeah, this this film could have gone any way. Uh, I I had a decent time with the film. I think I admire it more than I love it. Um, 
Yeah, definitely there were twists in the story that, you know, raised my eyebrows. Like, oh, okay, I, I'm interested to see where this is going. Um, yeah, well, it it had the this really nice atmosphere for a lot of it. Um, and But because it was the type of film that, you know, it jumps around between... Uh, Perspectives. S- sort of three characters, but really two of them are together for most of it. Um, there were times where I was much more interested in one of the stories than the other, and I was kind of waiting, you know, for it to go back to that. I was really interested in the one following Cat, uh, the one getting the um, the 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 hitchhike, um, and when eventually it did cut back to that one, it kind of ended really quickly, and I was like, oh, I was really enjoying that kind of dynamic that was happening there. Mm. Um, of Joan. Are you talking about the one who's with the parents in the car? Yeah, she goes by Joan, but yes. the, the title called her Cat. Oh. I remember they specify her as Joan at a certain point. Cat, we meet as yeah, she, the she, little she... girl, because that's the thing. A part of it is it's following three different girls. Cat, uh, which is Catherine, she's the youngest. She's a young girl. She's what, how, how how old would you say she comes across? I, I want to say 14, perhaps. She uh, looks well, very well, baby faced. Rose literally calls her freshman, so that's mm. either year seven or year 10, I'm assuming. Sure. So but, 13 or 16. Yeah, so 14 is a great guess on my part. Yes. Then you have Rose, who who's obviously older. She comes across as older. She looks older. She just has adult problems to deal with, yet she's still in school. And then there's Joan, who is an adult, uh, who's dealing with adults and having to do certain things uh, and... You were saying that I, I I also agree with this, where you are following certain stories and your emphasis as a as a viewer of it is leaning towards one more than the other at times. And I and I'm like you as well, where Joan in particular, like this adult who has this history that we are slowly learning, and you're and you're curious of how it is going to connect with the other stories we are watching. There has to be a purpose Mm -hmm. to us meeting this person relatively late in the game because we spend so much of the beginning of it in that Catholic girl girl setting with these these two and the, the adults that live there and the ones that aren't going to be there now and the, the, the tensions rising between the two to then just cut to somewhere completely different with someone completely different who is interacting with people we also don't know. She doesn't know them and we don't know them. So I, I, I completely am on the same wavelength as you. And I've seen this before. So I even had more investment because I'm like, I know where this goes. So mm. I'm actually wanting to focus on this even more than I did the first time. Yeah, definitely the way that it all came together in the end, yeah, really did, to use the word, elevate uh, my interest in it. Um, yeah, if if I do rewatch it, I can definitely see myself being a little bit more interested in that regard. And you you said you admired this perhaps more than you actually enjoyed it or liked it? Mm, I, I'd say I, yeah, I liked it, didn't love it. Um, like I said, it all coming together was really effective for me. Um, I guess you, you did mention that this is a slow paced film and I'm not 
there are some times where I'm totally into that. Sometimes I'm not. This one, not so much. Yeah, like I said, the Joan story was really interesting to me, and you know, no coincidence. There was a lot more dialogue in that one, a lot more interaction between um, some characters. We still, we definitely had that with the first story, but a lot of. Uh, you know, the more dramatic moments of that one was like the isolation, like Rose is alone and she's hearing sounds in the distance. Oh yeah. Mm. Or or Kath, uh, Kat is talking on the phone and you can kind of hear the voice on the other end and you're straining to hear what is actually being communicated across. Mm. Uh, I I understand. And there's a mystery to Joan. Yeah. While with Kat and Rose they have very relatable and or understandable problems. Uh, we open up, at least early on, with Kat having a, an almost ghostly premonition of her parents' death. She's convinced that they're dead. She she has this look of a, of a destroyed, burning car, and she's, like, horrified at it. And then we cut to her marking off the calendar, mum and dad in a love heart, and... Everything she does going forward is is just put in in, in uh, like bold and italics with her, because we have in our mind, oh, they the parents are never going to come because they're dead. How come she knows that? Why do we know that? Yet it is never actually confirmed in the movie. You get a sense that it's going to be confirmed, but we never hear it. We never get it told to us outside of her having this weird ghostly premonition or or vision or some sense of this just being a fact for her. Yeah, there, there is a mystery with that character as well, because... Yeah, she has the premonitions, she's got her personality, which like, what's the deal with this personality? You know, is there some sort of darkness there? Which there is. Um, and she, she even has, at one point says to Rose, like, oh, your parents aren't coming because they're dead. And we later learn, like, oh, no, at that point, they're not dead, so... Right, and you you are thinking, is she saying that her parents, Rose's parents are dead, or is she talking about her own parents? Because she says things in a in a way that you could read in in multiple rather than just one. And that's why I actually found Kat to be the the most interesting of the characters. I love that performance. It's my favourite performance in the film. I love her performance. I found her very sinister, but actually funny at the same time. That was something that was really well handled because there is a little bit of humour with her, with her being the creepy, uh, sinister child. You could tell that uh, not only the performer, but the character is is having a ball with it. They're just like, yeah, this is great. When I get to call an old lady a cunt, it's just like, this is great. Like, there's just this, there's this obviously, and I don't mean this as a pun, but I'm going to say it, but like devilish grin to a lot of her actions that she takes. And the more, I guess, decrepit she looks as it goes along, the more just there's this, there's a spark in her eye of just like, this is great. This is, this is what I've been wanting to do just as a performer, as well as, as, as the character. What did you think about? the the setting itself because that's uh, a major component of the film we we kind of said it but it is isolating it is very much like say the shining for example or other films that we've covered in which you have this big grand setting that is something that we can 
look at and say that I've experienced this, but it's it's heightened to a degree. This is this big Catholic school in the middle of the snowy landscape, and now it's empty, and so it just has this otherworldly feel to it. I thought that the direction really captured sense of place really well. I think even before it was isolated, like when we still had the students there and we had a, lo- a lot of scenes with the the principal or the the father in charge of it. Yeah, it was already building itself up as like this is what it's like normally, where um, it, it's very much going for that private school, like you know you're representing the school kind of thing. We have our values that we're proud of, um, but yeah, just the the look of the film, like it feels like I don't even remember if it was snowing or snowy at the time, but it just felt really cold, like ooh. Yeah, this must be winter. I I don't know why they said February earlier on, but you know this feels like winter. Um, wait, it is winter in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. February. Yeah, exactly. And if not, it's the tail end of that time because yeah. down here, some that's summery time. Yeah, I'm getting things mixed up, but yeah. Yeah, but still, it, the point stands that like the the tone, the vibe of this place was very cold. Um, and unsettling. And so when you take away everything, but you still keep, you know, just these few little figures here, all of a sudden it's like heightened or dare I say elevated as well. I really like the uh, almost juxtaposition between it and where Joan was. Joan is traveling cross-country. She's going between all of these different places. She's going from a bus stop to a car to a hotel to a restaurant to this to this to this. And yet, because of her predicament, she's picked up from this very kind, but also unsure of how they are going to react or who they are. Stranger, this man comes over to this young woman and says, hey, you look like you need help. Come into my car. My wife's over there. There's just red flags uh, are there. But with, with Joan, even though she's got a more expansive amount of places, they feel more cramped and isolated and more oppressive than the big open space of this one school that is dimly lit, that have crevices and that have underground parts and that has a big field. Even though we are spending so much time in this empty location with these two girls, and you really set, like you really do get communicated across just how in the middle of nowhere they are. I actually felt that way more with Joan, who is interacting with people. She's in things that are social, but because of what she's going through, that she's having to, what presents at first, what presents to you at the base level of she's afraid of having committed herself to what could be a dangerous situation. And then when you sit back and realize what's actually going on, she's afraid because she has gone into the hornet's nest of fucked up shit because she's ruined these people's lives previously. Uh, it, it It is just so immaculately done that her sitting in a restaurant across from a guy who's being very polite can be more devastatingly uh, like lonely 
than the two girls who are just by themselves in an empty campus. Yeah, it's, it's it's really interesting because, like you said, when you first meet this guy, um, Ajax from the Warriors, mm-hmm. uh, you you do have that thought of like, okay, is this like sincere on his part, or is he like a creep that's going to do something? Um, and that tension there is, you know, kind of what you're going with on top of, you know, who is this main character we're following. But then once you realize that, like, oh, no, this guy is sincere, this guy is kind, all of a sudden our main character's, you know, uh, kind of attitude that she's going with is, yeah, uh, creating this really unsettling atmosphere. And it's like, ooh, well, you know, this guy is being sincere and kind to you. Maybe you can just, like, let yourself go and you know, go along with that. You know, form a connection with him, but you're you're still uh, distant to him. And like, well, what is there? What is there in your past that has made you this way? And it's like just waiting for the shoe to drop. On top of also, as you said, like, how does this connect to the other story? Because they establish that she wants to travel to a city, to a town, to an area that's near the place that we are watching the events of these children in. We know the name of the school, hence we know the name of the town, and when they pan across that map, when Joan is looking at it, it stays on Bramford, and then it goes to the one afterwards, so... Even then, it's saying to us, our character here has a connection to this location. It's not just, hey, audience, this is that town, but she wants to go to the one after it, but she'll have to go through that. No, no, no. It's it's emphasized. Yeah, it's, it's a first-person perspective, like she's lingering on looking at that town. This is a, a, definitely a movie for those who are into show, don't tell. This is communicating everything it needs to through the visual language of the medium. You could watch this without the dialogue and get a lot out of it. It is just simple storytelling done on a filmic level, but it is committed to it. And I just appreciate that so much with uh, uh, with a horror film, especially uh, nowadays, instead of it just being, uh, we have quietness so that we can do boom at you. It's not just quiet, quiet, boom, jump scare. This is using the quiet moments to say something rather than just pad out the moments of the, of the frights. Yeah, I remember there was one scene where I'm like, oh, this film hasn't done jump scares before, but I think it's going to do one right here. And then it didn't. I was like, oh, good. Yeah. And... <laughs> Uh, let's talk about Rose. We haven't talked about Rose much. We've talked about Joan a fair bit. We've talked a bit about uh, Kat, but let's do touch base about about Rose. What did you think of this character and her, her story? Because she, at least in my eyes, she, just because of what she is... That comes with a lot of baggage attached to when you're, say, looking at a, at a film character. She's the popular girl, and she's a girl with a, a dilemma at hand. Uh, so what did you think of her? Yeah, she she felt the most like a protagonist, especially when we're just meeting our characters, um, because even though she is you know popular and she uh, has a sort of negative attitude towards the Catherine character, um, you know she has 
you know, multiple layers of things going on that we're following through on and learning about. Like, you know, she's got uh, anxieties about the fact that she might be pregnant, um, and that's led her to fake being sick to stay at the school for a bit longer. She had to tell lies um, to the peop- the administration. And her parents. And her parents. Um, and yeah, it very much felt like uh, a sort of, I guess, more modern horror protagonist or because, you know, it's like, oh, this isn't like a purely good girl. You know, there is lies, lies and deceitfulness, even though there might be a sympathetic angle to it. Um, so definitely from the vibe that we're feeling from there, it's like, okay, is this a character that's going to, you know, survive the majority of the film and we're following her and through, you know, the darkness that she uh, is faced with. Um, and yeah, and the, the film kind of plays with that a lot where for a lot of it, it does feel like it's going there. Um, but she is the protagonist that does not live till the end. She's also a subversion or a flip of the stereotype of the popular girl being the villainous one. We meet Catherine and she's the bookworm, she's the nerdy one, she's the one that the administration at the school respects, both the principal and the the, the priest. She has a, a precociousness to her, where we talked about this in the last episode, the innocence She's almost like a little adult. Mm. And you would expect, because we start with her, we emphasize her, we, we get a big emotional moment with her thinking that her parents could be dead and maybe she's deluding herself otherwise. She's having to go off against this older girl who does not care about her. She just cares about being to 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 our perception, to how we perceive Rose, as does Kat, this 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 older girl does not care because she wants to be the party girl who yeah. goes out drinking with her boyfriend and despite has the, something yeah. going on. And, despite the fact that the principal said that you have to look after me. And the more we get to know Rose, the more sympathetic she becomes and the more obvious it is that she's the one that we would want the her to be the protagonist of this story because she has a deeply human uh, aspect to her. While Kat, the more we get to know her, her, the more we are further away from her as a person because she just is handling things and reacting to things in a more psychotic and uh, really off-kilter way. But Rose, she is going through something that you can imagine many girls go through, the pregnancy scare, but she's handling it in a in a surprisingly level-headed way. She has her fears and her emotions about it, but she's not staying here just to go partying or or to even she doesn't even know why she's staying here. She she's contemplating, okay, if I stay here, maybe there's enough time to find out that I'm not pregnant and then I can go on break. Or if there is an incident, I can maybe take care of it. She at least is going to talk to the guy. Mm. And I, I I really liked Rose on 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 this watch. The first time I watched it, I was just like, "Oh yeah, she's good." But I like the 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 mystery plot with Joan or the overtly creepy plot with with Cat. But this this character and this this performance behind Rose really anchors everything that you have going on in the film. And 
there was that it's obvious but it was such a, a telling piece about the character of when we cut back later to the school photo because we see her school photo yeah we get that twice we then we see the photo itself throughout the movie it's it's a it's a touchstone point for many characters but when we cut back later on to her sitting down and getting the photo and you see it click and the camera takes the photo and then it just keeps going mm. on her face of this big girl like the Laura Palmer from Twin Peaks. I'm all smiling and I'm all pristine on the outside, but yeah. she drops that expression and it just lingers on you it see, for so you, long. You see her put it on and it's all kind of in slow motion. And, you know, before she puts it on, you're remembering what the photo looked like. It's like, oh, is she actually going to be able to pull off that look in this shot? And then she does. And it's like, oh, yeah, she did it. And then the very slow putting it off and yeah i was thinking during that like okay i know what they're going for here are they gonna nail it and yeah they quite she quite nailed it it's subtle how they build up her likability as a character to, to us as an audience because i can only speak for myself but when we do get to the end of her journey when we get her demise i felt really upset about it we are told that she is dead before it happens because this is a film that plays around with the linear it's no it's a non-linear story we mm -hmm. we we get information told to us at surprising points and it recontextualizes what we've seen before but also how we go forward with the 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 narratives that we've been following we get told about halfway through the film that Rose dies. She died yeah. at the school. Spe so, specifically, the Jones story is set like a decade after. And so when Rose does meet her end, it's because of uh, our, our knowledge of things that have already happened to her. We feel for her because she's not going to be able to make it out. And it's... It, again, this is about visual storytelling. This isn't trying to beat you over the head with reasons you should like her. They're not just making her like extremely sympathetic. She's still, in part, a selfish teenager. She cares about herself more than she cares about other people, but it's, a, it's an understandable level of selfishness. This is a life-changing event if, if it was to be the case that she was pregnant. Like... You don't, you don't, you you don't hold anything against her for being what, like doing what she's doing and reacting the way she's act, reacting to such a thing. In fact, it made her more understandable once we really dug into the weeds of it all. But I just really wanted to go over uh, Rose because I think in a in a horror film in a film like this that's that's uh, baiting you and switching around things and having demonic stuff and the uh, underpinning it all. It would be easy, easy to just fall into talking about Joan and Cat and just going over their stuff and their performances and their character reveals. But Rose is the person that she's she doesn't make it. She doesn't get to make it in the end, and she's this uh, emotional core to the film to me. And I really love that performance. What did you think of uh, the performance? And were there any moments of the Rose character that uh, you gravitated towards or that have lingered with you? I mean, yeah, the, the 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 extended photo scene, definitely that shot said it all. Um, even just watching her attitude shift throughout the film, because, you know, like we've already established, 
she it was put on her that you have to look after this creepy girl um and she makes it very clear to that girl that like look i don't want to do this just don't enter my room i'm going out you know whatever um and then as the film goes on you can see that she is genuinely starting to get concerned about like what is going on with this girl here is she a threat is she a threat is to herself or to me I really, uh, I really liked that one moment of her looking around for for Cat, and she at the start of it is just like, "Oh, where's this little girl gone? Ah, oh, shit! Should I have been here to look after her? Did she get herself in trouble?" And 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 the 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 the. the the audio, because this film is also not just visual, but the audio is really well done too, of the music and the the soundscape. She starts hearing this voice, it's obviously Kat's voice, muffling through, just coming through the vents and the heating system, and and she's she's following the breadcrumbs and going further and further down in the campus and going underneath the ground and going to the boiler room, and the the performance from this actress really built from her just being oh i should have looked after this girl how silly of me oh boy am i going to get in trouble for that hopefully she's okay to oh no something's wrong to oh no i'm in trouble <laughs> because she is an because, issue because i had my chance that was an amazing scene. <laughs> that was a fucking amazing talking about acting yeah. these two girls I know, I know it's weird to say, but the chemistry just comes off the screen <laughs> because they have like anti-chemistry, but it works. Like, like these two characters genuinely do not have anything in common with one another, other than they're both in the same place. <laughs> like, they're both girls. They're, they're both girls, but you know, there's just nothing for them to bond over in the slightest, <laughs> and neither of them really want to. <laughs> it's just that, that, but that scene of they could probably, you had your chance. They could probably be a good comedic duo. <laughs> oh, there was some funny stuff in this film. This wasn't, I, at least in my eyes, I don't know if you feel the same, but I do think there was some like some moments of 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 levity rather than say comedy. There was some moments of like, oh, that's kind of. A little bit fun or a little bit sweet or something, especially because Kat is a young child, like she's a young girl. And I think the film is aware of this doe-eyed, innocent looking girl. That There is some mileage to be had of just a a little bit of the fun of Mm. having her be this vacant-eyed child. I mean, when we first meet her and she's always talking to the, the principal or the father, you know... In those scenes, she genuinely is this really timid character where it's like, you're not going to see the performance? It's like, can't I stay here? Oh, that that amazing line of how long does it take to get there? The same amount it would take to get back? (laughs) She's guilting the priest for not coming to her performance? (laughs) That was great. I love that. I mean, yeah, she... Kat, what, what what an interesting character because... She, yeah, you describe her as like a creepy girl or whatever. And in my eyes, it doesn't start out at least. Well, no, no, me. she doesn't start that way. But in the scenes, you know, when it's at the dorm, like it starts mm. to become that. But when you look back, she was kind of a creepy girl from the beginning. Like the way she is talking to people is is off. She's 
And that's that's a part of the discussion to be had of how much of the events, because this is like the innocence we covered last week, how much of the events are real and how much of it is supernatural, uh, supernatural things coming in. Uh, how much of this is Cat is unwell, mentally speaking, or is she possessed? And we don't have a touch point for what is the normal version of her character because she's she's just she's just in a different place mentally when we meet her than you would expect a child to be in mm. when you go back and watch or think about how she talks to the adults it's not proper it it's it's just something something about it is just it's very troubled i mean you have that with some kids where yeah they 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 even have that as like a warning sign for like abuse and stuff like that. It's like they're using language that's uh, too mature for their age or something like that. And the priest in particular, he's become too comfortable talking to her because he's having this rapport with her and he's reading stuff into her as well because there was that moment where he where he um he he made a remark about like, oh, well, what was that? Well, yeah, so I, I, I swear I could have seen a hint of a smile there. Hmm. I didn't when when he said that I'm like I didn't see a hint of a smile there but he has such a, a familiarity with her uh that it almost crosses a line even even when when Rose enters the scene and like he he was directing at her I'm forgetting the exact lines of dialogue but he was like saying something to her like well you know because of the rules you will have to do it this way right and then Rose responded with like, "Oh, actually, I I'm sick and my parents are not coming." And then, oh yeah, yeah. he just had he was like taken aback, like, "Oh, well, that that goes like that kind of screws the rules a little bit." Oh yeah, with the principal guy, yeah, he yeah. was great like that because he clearly was like, "I'm on holiday mode, mm. <laughs> and you guys are causing problems for me right now." <laughs> but I'm trying to be nice about it. I loved his performance too. <laughs> uh, then we get them. On their own. There are adults on the campus. There are these two women. Mm. And we have that conversation from Rose where she's winding uh, winding Cat up, trying to scare her or trying to just be a dick to her, where she says, oh, they wear wigs, you know. They have no hair. She she puts in, in, in the mind of Cat that they are devil worshippers, mm. these two women. And... Well, I I want to I want to get your perspective on this. When that scene first played, because we get that twice. That scene we get it from Rose telling that to then in the back half of the film we get it from Cat uh, hearing that story. We we like first time it's all emphasis on on Rose telling it. Second time we're in the hallway looking at the behind of Cat hearing that story be told. But when that story got told the first time round. Did you think that there was any truth to it? Did you think that it's like, oh, this is going to be revealed that these women are devil worshippers and that there's some kind of weird corruption at the school there? Um, not so much from the nuns because we hadn't really seen much of them, but because the film in the you know the very beginning parts was establishing that you know this is a serious school private school and it did have that unsettling atmosphere and the the principal characters the big authority figures 
um, were very matter of fact about like the rules need to be followed. Um, I did think that okay, maybe there is some sort of you know a dark darkness going on behind the people in charge of the school. Um, so yeah, not so much with the nuns, but you know when I when I did hear that. It was like a toss-up of like, oh yeah, she could just be joking around, or you know, it just could be like this could be like an open secret. And what did you think of Kat's reaction when it when that story got told the first time? Because we do see her reaction. In my eyes, it's like, oh, she looks like she's buying the story, or she's getting a little bit worked up at the idea, or or, or oh, well, I have to take an uh, take a look next time I see them. Like, there's uh, that's how I viewed it. Yeah, I, d- I didn't really get a read on it. <laughs> what about the second time? Because I think the reveal is she finds this whole thing amusing because she's already in league with a devil <laughs> because <laughs> we hear the audio is, like, distorted when yeah, she's a lot of, hearing yeah. everything that Rose is saying and we're seeing that there's this shadow figure in the corner with these ears or horns or whatever, they're these pointed uh, dark images on this creature's head and all of the story is being told again, but it's 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 warped. Hmm. Uh, I mean, that's what I love about the movie is how it tracks, it goes back in time and it loops around again and it it revisits scenes and it screws around with a linear format and has it all shuffled around in different ways, but it's not, not, I never found it in, like, I never found it confusing. I always could track why the movie was taking this step in time rather than putting it all A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Yeah. With, with a lot of the reveals of the big information, like the big twists, um, those were moments where, you know, my, my interest in the film and what I meant by the, like the admiration I have for the film, you know, really ramped up. Um, it, I was also following it just fine. And yeah, at the end of the day, you know, knowing like the truth behind, you know, the whole film where, you know, the cat character and the Joan character, they're the same person. Um, initially that was like, oh, the, ooh, ooh, okay, let's see where this is going. But then later on you get the extra twist of like, oh, not only are they the same person, but like one of them was during possession and one of them is after possession. It's like, that's a whole nother layer that like, I yeah didn't quite, well, I mean, because it takes to like towards the end of the film when you mm-hmm. find out that they were exercised, it's like, oh, wow. That there alone is like worth the rewatch. It is. It is. I think that really adds a nuance to it, and I'm glad that you you vocalize that there because it's not something that you may immediately pick up on your first watch. It's all about like, oh, they're the same character, and how? Why is it that? Why is it playing like this now? Oh, mm. she's met these people, and they're doing these things. Uh, I. I could track it very easily when it came to the shuffling of the of the timelines and events and why are we going back to revisit this scene? It never felt purposeless or just confusing for the sake of atmosphere. I, I found it exciting, actually. Oh, we're going back to this scene. I must have missed something that first time. <laughs> I'm glad that we're coming back. And the the... The, the 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 reveals are great in in my eyes but it goes beyond just the reveals to 
a, a psyche behind them. So we uh, get information about Rose is going to be killed, she's going to be murdered, and it's going to be most likely from Cat, of course, uh, because in the timeline that's nine years post what we're seeing at the school, her parents are going back to the school to remember her, to leave flowers, just, it's just the anniversary. Just her parents are the ones giving Joan, in quotes, the lift. The lift. And 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 they say things like, yeah, they, they had to test the blood to make sure that, you know, because her head was cut off and you're, and you're saying, oh, that's, that's bad. Uh, yeah, so it's really going to get gruesome. And because of the, the ways that we learn these things from Joan, who is a character that's feeling immense amount of uh, trepidation, fear, stress, uh, we are feeling it in ten, 10 times because we know that after a certain point, Joan is Cat. And so what's she going to do to these nice people? We maybe at one time thought that these nice people were the threats. But now they're the ones in danger, like their daughter, like Rose. They they basically fall to the same fate of underestimating a pretty young blonde girl. <laughs> Again, those subversions, man, they get you the the popular the, the, the dark haired, popular girl who may be a bit of a bitch and she would rather go out with her boy uh, boyfriend and get laid or whatever. No, it's not actually like that. It's actually a little bit more nuanced. And and same with the the older man who, yes, was in The Warriors, that actor. The older man who sees a young pretty girl at a bus stop and says, hey, you look cold. You want to get in my car? No, twists around. And it's, it's, he's actually a, a, a genuine person and a nice guy grieving. Uh, what did you think about the the emotions of the movie? Because although atmospheric, there at least in, for for myself, there was a heavy emphasis on sadness. This is a very somber film. Well, yeah, there's a lot of mourning for the dead in many different ways. Where there is, uh, you know, parents grieving for. Uh, their child being dead. Um, there's potentially, you know, children mourning their parents being dead or the thought of it. And then you have, you know, related to the big twist of the film where the black coat is the demon possessing the girl who she sees as a sort of father figure. And in the nine years later storyline, her big stress is the fact that, like, I I want to have that back. Mm. So it, it all ties together with that theme of mourning for family or what you perceive to be family. And and Rose is also mourning the loss of her future because she clearly doesn't want a child, mm. and she's worried about that. And so when she has her last last stretch in the film of she finds out she's not pregnant and it's the happiest she's ever been in the film. <laughs> Only to then just get killed. Yeah, unceremoniously, without expecting it. What did you think of the kills, uh, or the the reveal of 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 death in this? Because it always it always gets me. Like uh, it, it that's lingered with me. The 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 way that violence has been implemented in this has has lingered with me in in many ways over the years since I saw it that first time. And I know visiting it again, I was like, will it still do that? And it did for me, especially 
Rose's death, but also the the reveal, the multiple reveals of the death of the of the of the women, the nuns uh, that were at the school. Were they nuns? I can't. I, I'm like they weren't in habits. Well, dang it! Nuns, matrons, caretakers. Yeah, yeah like because that one. They re- they go to it a few times. Dorm ladies. Yeah, they go to that one a few times. Reveal like Rose is knocking at the window, and you can hear something going on. And then they, the principal and the state trooper go there, and then they go there again. It's just a lot. But what did you think of how this film handled the gruesome aspects? Yeah, it's 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 one of those ones that isn't going for like the flashy death traps and you're seeing every step of the well you are seeing every step but you're not it's not like a slow paced you know every step of the way falling for the big Rube Goldberg machine thing it's just very sudden and these characters are no longer there and you know for the matron characters because they were a bit more minor you know you could buy that a bit more but for Rose like we you've heard us talk about her throughout this episode like she is a big deal she's one of our three leads um and when you really break it down one of the two leads um character wise not actress wise because the older one of cat mm-hmm. is a different actress um but yeah she has this gravitas of like we're following her we are seeing many different aspects of her and her family and when she is just killed off very suddenly. It it literally is a thing. Like, she's not in the film anymore. Her spirit doesn't exist still. It's, her presence isn't felt anymore. She's just gone. And you, through that filmmaking, get why the parents are so grief-stricken outside of just the ability to have sympathy and empathy for such a situation the potential the the potential that was suddenly yanked away from them of their of their child is just so sudden and it's so hard to wrap your mind body and soul around they are still in loss and they are still unable to comprehend the just the brutality of it all their daughter got their head cut off at school for fuck's sake but when we see it happen on the screen it is so unceremonious. It is just, it's done. There is no, there is no glory. There is no sense of even doom to it, or, or satisfaction, or any of it. It's just that, yeah, she got stabbed to death, and that's that. And now her head is laying on the floor next to two other heads, as this girl is flailing about in demonic worship of a boiler, and it's just, it is just so. Uh, it, it, matter of fact about it. So when the parents themselves get killed too in basically the same way uh, as those previous victims, one gets their sl- throat slashed, the other gets stabbed a million times in the back, uh, it's not only just uh, repetition again, but it it is repetition with that extra layer of tragedy to it. Mm, history repeating. History, but not quite because in the past there was joy to it for the person who was doing the killing now they're hoping for it to bring a sense of joy a sense to of bring, purpose bring her back to that time and what she had and you just can't and the parents are going through the same thing with with their process of grief of like we go to the school and we leave the flowers and it's our way of being able to reconnect to the past and hopefully it can inform us in the present and the future. But we learned from the mother 
that it isn't working. He plays it off like, oh, it's only this time of year that we get a little sad like this, but he is building up this false narrative for himself. I really love that monologue of the mother talking to Joan in the back of the car about how he says like he sees so many people that reminds us of, reminds us of our daughter. I don't see that. And then she explains a one time she did and then just bitterly reminds Joan that you are not that though. You don't remind me of her in any way. Mm. Yeah, I, even though I think the mother might have played it a little too exaggerated for my taste, I do really like the fact that the these two parents are mourning in different ways. And similar to what we were talking about with the rest of the film, you know, we, we get more of the father character first, so we're getting that establishment. And then when we do get the mother character, she builds off of things that he said you know, straight to the point of like, did he tell you this, this, and this? And it's like, yep, hundred percent. He told me exactly that. And then she gives her own spin on it, which makes you, you know, cast doubt on what the the father was saying about like how he's really taking it all. She does not have a religious angle to it. Mm. He does. She never says that, but we get that from her attitude and how she talks about the loss of her child. While he brings up God and how. God is this to him. I like that speech too, by the way. And just, James Remar is a great actor. I remember I brought that up when we did The Warriors. of like, oh, he's in a million things. Hmm. Oh, in The Warriors, he's this goofy guy here. But in, in his career, he's just one of those reliable character actors that you get in. And yeah, he plays tough guys. But to see him as a grief-stricken father who's just trying to be a good person, even in the face of adversity, I, I what a performance from him. I mean, there's, there's, this is a film that's not only grounded by the direction and the, uh, the language done through the camera, but it's those performances. They, they've got to be pitch perfect to what this is. The, even uh, you know, the young uh, version of Joan or of, of Kat, even though I enjoy how much fun that actress is clearly having in the role, she never is going into campy ch- territory. She's not She's not uh, Megan Fox and Jennifer's body. You know, She's not having that level of uh, excitable, but... It it is it, it all works in tandem. It all works as a piece as well, and I I just really uh, admire how it goes. But let's just crack it open. What do you think? Do you think that Joan slash Cat was possessed? Do you think the supernatural slash demonic elements are? literal in this or do you think it's supposed to be metaphorical what what is your interpretation of it all oh i i took it at face value yeah yeah i i I didn't think it was a mystery but now that you're asking me i feel like maybe i was too foolish (laughs) no i thought yeah i just thought oh yeah she's possessed you know the exorcism happened and you know the, the 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 black coat was gone and she felt that it was gone and yeah in the future nine years without that thing she was longing for has you know made her really grief stricken and is seeking you know maybe i'll get possessed again if i if i go through with all these murders yeah i i can obviously that's how the film is playing it too uh i think it's in doubt partly because they never talk about it it's never something really referenced. It's never so- usually in a possession story. 
there's at least some mentionings of things, but this, it just, it happens. It's like, oh, look, there's a weird black void-like creature in the distance that you can't quite discern, and yet you know what it is. Uh, I think there's always a room for doubt with one that presents possession in such a vague way, mm. and in a way in which the person who is possessed comes across to everyone else as uh as mentally unwell because with 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 this particular movie it does live in that gray zone i feel i think it lives in that gray zone of people put on faces for one another but what's really underneath and so i i'm i'm willing to see it at the face value of it's a demonic possession and it's exactly as said because guess what that reading is still a fucking great movie when it comes to that. But, you know, I, I kind of lean obviously a little bit more into the psychological realm because that's something I can find more tangible than some reason or another this girl got possessed by uh, the, the fucking heating system <laughs> of the school. Because the heating system looks like the creature a bit and she's like worshipping... <laughs> The <laughs> that underneath that I love that I love that I mean it's sufficiently it is sufficiently ominous looking <laughs> and when she goes back to the school though as an adult it doesn't look ominous anymore it's not on it's just a small dark grey room it's no longer that scary movie setting that we were in when Rose was looking through that window in the door it's it's just this pathetic little place where a horrible thing happened nine years ago. I, wow, the, the Oz Perkins who directs this, he really he really nails sense of place so so well, and being able to get the same location and and, and make it change as a character too. But uh, did you, wh when did you figure out that Joan was Cat? Did you figure that out <clears throat> at a certain specific point, or when the film revealed it in any way, or were there little clues beforehand that you were starting to to gather that for yourself well i think the fact that you know the future story of joan was given the title cat was you know gave Did it away it give it? yeah that's why i was calling her cat earlier i don't remember because, that because because the title said cat but she was going by joan mm. so it's like oh it does give us joan doesn't it? Yeah, because she's. I think she was like using a the nurse's name or something, and she just stuck with it. Right. I remember I picked it up immediately because she's a blonde girl with dark eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> she looks exactly like the cat character, but it's a different actress. And, and I think I was remembering like, oh, cat, cat. Uh, so there's the yeah, there's uh, Rose, there's Cat, and Catherine. And then, like, ten seconds later, I'm like, wait, Cat's short for Catherine. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. But then, yeah, you get the the photo of, like, oh, our daughter Rose died ten years ago. She goes to the bathroom. She, yeah. She's like, starts giggling, and it's like, yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> yeah, she had a great reaction to that. Yeah, I I like the, the, the twists and turns of that. Now, are we ready to talk about some of the... 
production or outside of the actual narrative parts of the movie? Or are there any more aspects of the film itself that you want to go over, whether it is story related or the uh, uh, or how it came across visually or music or anything like that? Uh, well, story wise, you said a few minutes ago that you know the concept of this story is just a really great one. And yeah, I fully agree. Like before when I mentioned like, oh, you know, I wasn't too into the film, like slow paced, very dark, atmospheric. Simply isolating that story alone, I was thinking of, you know, we've done other horror films less in this like atmospheric vein. Like we've done The Love Witch, where even though that is a horror film, like I wouldn't immediately jump to saying that like, oh, that's a that's a horror film. A film with that kind of tone, with this sort of story, where it's about a, pos- a possessed woman who's lost her, you know, thing possessing her, and she wants to get it back. I could see a story in like the tone of the Love Witch, where it is kind of a bit more comedic, um, while still being like incredibly dark. Like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see this mm-hmm. basic narrative idea explored in like a different. Uh, fashion so that's that's the really big thing that i'm admiring like i just really love the concept it's malleable yeah it is the town and the school is a reference to rosemary's baby bramford so it has that devil thing going for it as well again what was bramford in rosemary's baby Uh, i think it was the name of like the complex they were living in like the big apartment yeah Uh, it's in the trivia i can double check it for you Mm -hmm. but this definitely does have when you go to the uh devil worshipy stuff rosemary's baby and the omen are always the two that jump out those are the big devil movies without Mm. actually having a guy with horns show up and be like hello it's me the devil here without legend without without tim curry in legend and again he was just a devil it even argues is he the devil and he was darkness he was darkness he was yeah he had multiple titles in 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 that so uh just to answer your question the the bramford is also the name of the notorious apartment building in the novel and film of rosemary's baby in which guy and rosemary move into so it's a little little reference for you for you for your horror fans it's it's giving a clue away at the beginning saying ah we know what we're doing (laughs) it's a great movie but i didn't remember the name of the apartment so but try harder oz perkins oz perkins uh now to get into some of the other stuff you've been building this up Oz Perkins <laughs> is the son of Anthony Perkins, who was one of the greatest actors of the 20th century. Just, that's a fact. Obviously, he's well known for being Norman Bates in Psycho. Have you ever seen Psycho? It's the only Hitchcock film I've seen. And he's great in it. Mm-hmm. That's a film, again, relies on atmosphere, relies on lots of storytelling being told without words, but when there are words, those actors rise to the challenge. Norman Bates is one of the most iconic, uh, it's weird to say horror movie characters, but I guess, you know, like he is a horror movie character, but he's so, he's so damn likable, Anthony Perkins, in that role that you feel conflicted about it. But he's also something wrong with him. And he was a great actor. He, he was in multiple things. And so Oz Perkins is his son. And this is his debut. This is his first film. This is his first film he's directed. And I just find that fucking shocking because this does not in any way come across as 
filmmaker's first movie. This comes across as someone who's made many movies. It's just so polished. It's just so mature. It's so well realized that yeah, very confident. It's a conf. Yeah, I'm just. I just wanted to go over that because he's an actor's son. Who himself is an actor, Oz Perkins has acted in several things, and this is clearly a case of a guy who has spent a majority of his life within the industry. His dad was in it. He's been in it. He's obviously seen filmmakers make their things as well as just be watching it, and he's soaked it up like a sponge. So that when he finally made his own movie, he wrote and directed this. It, it just. It just jumps out of jumps out and says, "Yeah, I'm an accomplished filmmaker," and I just, I just really wanted to to bring that to the forefront because it is like I'm I'm still shocked that this is a like a the debut for Oz Perkins. This like if you said to me, "Oh yeah, Oz Perkins, he's like a you know a cult director. He's he's made several films. He's made." Three or four films. Yeah, it's like, oh, this one was third times the charm. <laughs> but this is his first out of, I think, three or four films he's made. Hmm. Was it actually his first? I remember looking it up, and I thought there was a few things before this. Probably but... like shorts and stuff, but yeah, at least maybe. feature film. Feature film-wise, yeah, I can see that. And this came out in 2015. Now, I want you to grab your phone and have a look at IMDb for this movie, because there's two things in particular that may jump out. One I want to just say now is it has the three lead actresses' uh, photos on there, and they all look the same <laughs> because they're all blonde ladies with dark eyebrows. And although Rose does not have blonde hair in this movie, that actress, I've seen her in other films with the blonde hair, and it's just that that specific casting choice is is just really well done the the actress who plays cat was it was in mad men she's don draper's daughter she recently was sabrina spellman in the chilling adventures of sabrina she's really great in that and of course joan the adult version of cat is uh, emma roberts who is uh who is uh, obviously Related to a famous Roberts as well, Julia. She's, I think, her niece. Yeah. And uh, well, they do look similar. Yeah, they all have this thing going on. But what's the rating on IMDb, Bartok? Uh, the rating on IMDb is unappreciated masterpieces territory. Five point nine out of ten. Five point nine. Now you you said you admired this more than you maybe liked it, but five point nine out of ten. Would you say that this movie is a 5.9 out of 10? Well, it deserves at least a 6. <laughs> that, I'm, I'm literally like that too. I'm like, come on, we can't even get it up to like a 6? <laughs> it's shocking. It's fucking shocking. And if you go to a lot of other review places, audiences hate this movie. Okay. You read reviews and it's like boring, boring, slow plotting. And I remember that was a thing that turned me off of watching it when my friend recommended it. Because I did a quick, oh yeah, I'll Google this. And then, and then you know, you see generic looking horror movie poster of two women's faces joined with a thing in the middle. And you're like, uh-huh. And then 5.9, or at that time it was like a 5.4 when I looked at it I, those I will, years ago. I will say the featured review, just like the default one that I see on IMDb, is like, it's titled Mesmerizing and it does say 6 out of 10. I'm like, oh, there you go. That's kind of it. Like, I didn't love the film, but I can agree that mesmerizing would be a word for it. But 
2015 is an an interesting time. So with this film's production, it was made and released on uh, video on demand in 2015. Uh, It was shot and then filmed and then they just pooped it out on, you know, just random video on demand sites. Then in 2017, it got picked up by A24. Are you familiar with A24 by any by any chance? I so I, when we did twentieth um, century women, you made a big deal about like oh and, th- and this was an A twenty four film and I'd heard the name before but I don't actually know the conventions around and I still don't quite do. So they're the ones that are basically the the hoarders of this <clears throat> elevated horror stuff. They're the ones that make the. The artsy films. They're mm. the ones that make the highbrow, thematic, little dialogue. Uh, there's di- films with little dialogue in them or, or, you know, off the beaten path from the, the... They're not making conjuring films, for instance. And this is such a roadmap of a film for what we have now. And it's such a shame because... This came out too early. If this came out, like if this was made and released and was a proper A24 theatrical release in 2017, 2018, this would be talked about in the same way and same vein and same amount of adoration as all of these A24 films that come out now. The ones like The the Witch or Midsommar and uh, you have... I'm just naming Ari Aster films, uh, no, not Ari Aster in general, but uh, Hereditary, and there's so many of them now, Lamb, and there's, it's almost become a joke of how they have these certain ways of release, like certain mm. films they release, but this was before that big glut of them. I, I want to say something like The Witch really kicked that off as being a thing that people were invested in, but when we talk about movies on this podcast of, oh, they came out just a bit before their time, when we say that, it's usually like five to ten years too early. This is a year or two too early. <laughs> How maddening is that? And it, and so it gets the, oh, it's a five out of ten movie. But I bet you if this came out in 2018, after things like The Lighthouse... Came out alongside Neon Demon. And then his second film was a Netflix movie, and it's got a very long title. It's actually quite humorous how long the title is, and that reminds me of those movies from the 60s. I also enjoy that movie, 4.2 out of 10 on IMDb. And then he did a Hansel and Gretel movie where it was called Gretel and Hansel because Gretel's the main character in it. Yeah, again, not the high ra- high, highest rated movie either, and it's just it's just so peculiar to me because... Acting-wise and on, on a, and on a technical level, these are more than competent. And I we rarely talk about this on our podcast of like the, the the fan reception reviews. This is more something that the contrarians would do when it comes to this. But I just wanted to to have a discussion about it or at least bring it to your attention because it, I just find it so. But interesting and befuddling that uh, that this does seem like a case of it lives in a genre that's very demanding mm-hmm. of, from its viewers of like what is good and what is bad. Like this labels itself as a horror film about a creepy girl stabbing people in a school uh, in a snowy environment. Ooh, I expect a certain thing. And then this film does not bother to try to be that. Yet it is. 
and it's slow paced and atmospheric and now horror is all about being slow paced slow paced and atmospheric that's a lot of it not all of it is not like we've got the nun 2 out right now but I, I i just feel so bad for oz perkins because he's making in my eyes unique quality films that are now considered the standard for a whole group of people out there but his ones get shit ratings and reviews from from the general masses because he wasn't the trend of it. He was before it by only just a hair. I mean, what do you what do you think about that? Like, we've never we've rarely encountered this level of being close to what would become a standard. I mean, we have talked in the past about the you know the concept of the cult classic, the the film that wasn't appreciated in the time it came out and then later on would become appreciated. Maybe if it hasn't happened already, maybe we're, again, maybe a year away from it actually becoming a cult classic. That would actually be pretty funny because in the film it's like a nine-year time skip Mm -hmm. and next year will be the ninth anniversary of the film. Like if it became a cult classic next year, that would be very poetic. (laughs) Um. Yeah, it's it's it, it, again cult classics. We're we're very familiar with the the term, and this just feels like it's it's in the making of that sort of thing. You are not a horror aficionado. Last episode, you made a point of saying at a certain time in your life, your horror movie reference point was the new Nightmare on Elm Street that you saw in the cinema. Like that was your first horror film, and as far as I can remember, yeah, the twenty that twenty tens era had a certain idea of what a like, and I think most people you you, you have an idea of what a horror movie is. Slashes, your jump scares, ooh, conjuring uh, um, paranormal activity or your Mm. Freddy's, your Jason's. Yeah, not long after I saw the paranormal activity films, like, yeah, this is really great. I love horror. But uh, uh, you're aware of this trend now of what what they're calling elevated horror. You are aware of it, yes? Pretty much, yeah. And... I think, you know, that, like, if we talk to 2010 Bartek, the idea of that being considered popular horror would have been a novel thing because it's, like, popular horror for, for like, general masses or for, for just general perception is the the conjuring style or the, the, the quiet, quiet bang jump scare. In fact, with the conjuring universe, with things like Annabelle and The Nun, it was almost, like shameful to be a fan of horror films because it was just so formulaically garbage in a way and the horror genre out of all of the film genres gets labeled with being mindless garbage more than a lot of others i feel hence roger ebert and gene siskel had their war against horror films in a period of time the the women in danger campaign women in danger campaign and this the women are the danger in this one Um, that's true uh yeah All all the men are angels in this one i mean one of them is a priest who exercises a demon out of a, a out of a small girl. So, yeah. I guess he's a nice guy. Maybe if you're a priest, you're committing to be good, but not to the level of an angel. I just find this fascinating stuff. There's just all of the elements in it. Like these actresses were well-known actresses at the time, or this helped launch their careers in a certain vein. 
the the director slash writer behind it, although this is a, a debut for them when it comes to feature length movies, they're of a pedigree. They have had a career of acting themselves, but they are also the son of one of the greatest actors of the 20th century, who was in one of the most iconic films of the 20th century as well when it comes to Psycho, right? And so him coming in being like, yeah, I'm going to be a director of a slow-paced horror film, that would win right now. Like, all that stuff I just said to you, you could you would imagine, oh, that would be successful. Now, not in 2015. <laughs> Fuck you, Oz Perkins. Who do you think you are? Coming in with that. Wait two years, you idiot. So upsetting. What a weird coincidence that the son of iconic horror guy made a horror film. Yeah. <laughs> and that's funny, too, because Anthony Perkins... Outside of the Psycho franchise, was not a, really that much of a horror guy. He was like <laughs> a funny guy, a sweet guy. But uh, speaking of which, uh, one funny thing um, we were talking about Emma Roberts before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember way back I saw in the cinema Scream Four with my stepbrother. It's the only Scream film I've seen. She's in that, right? She's in that. Yeah, it's. I, I don't know if we're allowed to spoil Scream Four in the Scraform. black. Co- yes, yeah, Scraform. In the the black coat daughter. Spoiler: episode. Is she the killer? I think that was the case. Yeah, she does horror stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was looking her up on Wikipedia, and it mentioned like in the opening sentence, like, "Oh, she's a well-known like horror actress now," and that's really funny because one of the first things I saw her in is I think maybe the first thing she was in, which was like this very by the books Nickelodeon teen show called Unfabulous. And I remember yeah. yeah, even when that before that show even came out, there was ads for it and I was like, oh yeah, this is a you know teen show. I watched it. I enjoyed it. It was about a girl that like is going to high school for the first time and she like sings on a guitar to express her feelings. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, you're you're gonna be, you know, popular with the kids growing up. And then when I find out Oh, you're in, you're in Scream Four. That's a dark film for Nickelodeon actress to be in. If that show was Emma Roberts, by Nickelodeon, and then now I find out that yeah, she's all in horror. <laughs> Emma Roberts is apparently a, a terrible person, but she plays very enjoyably campy characters that have iconic sequences. She is. You may have even seen this meme. I'm pretty sure it's her in American Horror Story, which is an ongoing anthology series. You probably heard of American Horror Story. That's the one where every season's the same actors, but it's like different stories. Yeah, or at least familiar actors. Sometimes they swap them in and out. Emma Roberts, I do believe in that one. There's a reveal of her character you think is dead, and she comes down the stairs and she's like... I'm back, bitch. And it's just it's just so iconic. <laughs> and there's another one, I think it's from American Horror Story or, or Scream Queens. Again, she does these type of shows where it's supposed to be a genuine reaction. It's not supposed to be funny. But she does like this prissy girl pouty face that is just really, really funny. But it was her trying to be legitimate in that moment, but it was just too funny. And people just use that image all the time of her doing this prissy little schoolgirl reaction to something like, I didn't get what I wanted. But it was her legitimately trying, and it was just, it was just, it was just one of those funny things. But that is the Black Coat's daughter. That's what I wanted to go over when it came to some of these uh, outer things of the movie, because, ah, like, it's just, you don't get that type of stuff around a movie like this now. When, when Ari Aster 
or Robert Eggers comes out with a movie and they do their thing, everyone's just like, yeah, that's accepted. We just accept this and we can't wait to watch watch it. Or people say, ah, it's overrated. Like, there's a conversation. Oz Perkins is continually making these movies, even though these now are very popular, he still is just flying under the radar for people. Like, he has fans, He, but he is really the cult director of these type of horror movies that are now, in fact, considered the mainstream. Very, very weird. It's just very weird to me. I just, I got my brain just can't process it. It's just, like, the mathematics should be like, he should be more successful and well-known for this stuff, but he really isn't, and so... Is it just the audience scores? Like, what about critic scores? Yeah, for, for some reason, a lot of his films just don't pass, like, they get critic reviews and they're positive, but there's so many, like this one, well-known critics just didn't review it because it originally came out on video on demand. Right. So yeah. the critics that review it are like the horror aficionado type critics who are like, yeah, this is great. Or, no, it's not great because I, I, I like certain things in a horror movie. Like, I actually watched a couple of reviews and there was this one review that's like, yeah, I didn't like the movie when I first saw it, but then, you know, I watched it again and I was like, oh, I get it. But the first time I watched it, I found it confusing because it wasn't structured like a horror movie. It was so confusing to follow these timelines. And I'm like, was it? The film literally labels itself with like, we're following this person now. Get on board, but uh, that is the Black Coat's daughter, Bartek. Would you recommend it? I would. Again, I don't love it. I, I admire it a lot, but yeah, this is this is a good one. I I think it follows up very nicely with the Innocence. We just did the Innocence, and although different time periods, different styles of movies. I think they have a lot in common with one another as well. I think if you're doing a movie night and you're wanting to, say, do movies from certain decades, say, you could lead up from the innocence to this. Mm. Ryan says this because he doesn't want to believe in the supernatural. That is true. I mean, <laughs> are you... I mean, we, let's just open that to end the, the discussion. Are you one to accept that more easily than not? Because I think I am more often than not wanting to read a, the psychological lean to a film like this and the innocence than the supernatural, because I inherently don't believe in the supernatural and I find it too goofy. I inherently don't believe in the supernatural and do prefer psychological, but for films like these, I I come in, you know, wanting to buy into it. It's like, okay, yeah, this film does a supernatural thing, so let's go with that let's let this be supernatural let's let this be different from real life and that's the bias i have of like yeah let's let's have this be different and then we have a neon demon discussion where i'm like they're witches and you're like oh i just thought they were crazy (laughs) (laughs) so it can flip the script sometimes but it's good to air that out for for future reference points because it Mm. is i think i i rarely am going to take it on board unless it is super specific about it like you know, Rosemary's Baby is very open about what it is mm. when it comes. It's no, oh, is it? Is it not at the end? Ooh, as much as say this movie is trying to be that. Um, and so that is the Black Coat's Daughter. Bartek, you are recommending the next film for our spooky month, and so I hope you have a spooky movie for us. Yes, I hope so too. Um, this is one that I'm not familiar with. 
in the lead up to you know me having to pick my uh, spooky month film, uh, I did have one that I've had pocketed for a while. They're like, oh yeah, let's let's go with that one. Um, but it wasn't one that I was super passionate about. It's like I one one that I definitely want to watch again, but you know, it wasn't necessarily like, oh, got to do it now. Um, and I got to thinking the other day, like, oh, let's let, let's find something that actually I would be a bit more interested in. And yeah, not being a big horror movie fan, I actually am interested in horror, but I guess I read more like horror-esque mangas than anything like that. And I thought about like, what, well, what do I look for in horror films? And yeah, we brought up the whole thing about like psychology, um, things like that. So I like put into Google, like, what is a good film that has like these kind of elements? And there were a couple of lists of like, oh, this is all listing like really modern stuff from the last few years. Now let's see something a bit more general. And I was getting a lot of people recommending this one film in particular from 2013. I don't know if you've heard of it or oh, not. Well, I'll find out. Um, and because I walked into this recording with the title wrong, I just want to check one more time that I definitely know the title. He'll be like, and yeah. the film is called The okay. Innocence again? <laughs> uh, the Neon Demon or something. Oh. From, from 2013. Yeah, good joke, Bartek. The film is called Coherence. Do you know this film? Not at all, no. Okay. I I don't know the film. What did you originally think it was called? Because when we walk... Oh, you thought... Before we record this, but it's like, I gotta check it. Like, oh, I added two it's, extra letters. It's, did you think it was incoherence? Yeah, it's that minor. I thought it was incoherence. And I was gonna say it... Coherence. Like, oh. matter-of-factly, without any sort of doubt. But then I saw that it's like, oh, it's actually called coherence. So Oops. you and I do not know this film. You know more than I do from just your quick little googly. Yeah, but uh, little neither tags. of us have seen this. So that would be a fun yeah. little journey the, for the podcast. Yeah, what little I did see people saying about it, it, it very much felt like a, ooh, I, I don't see how that could be good, but they're saying it is, so let's, let's Isn't that see. always <laughs> great when that when that occurs to you as well, where it's like, ooh, I didn't think that, you know, but hey, people are saying something, so let's see well, if we're going to join a, in on that It's a thing that, that has ride. potential, but it's like, yeah, this could go either way. Well, I, Coherence. Look, I look forward to it, and we will be dis- discussing that next time. Oh, you know another film that I think suffered a similar fate to... Um, uh, uh, the Black Coat's Daughter, is Starry Eyes. We talked about that on a previous uh, Spooky Month where that has a following and had a little bit good of word of mouth of time, but I think that one came out a little too early as well. That was like 2015 as well, right? It Around was the thereabouts, same time. yeah. It's one where it's like, if that came out the same time as The Love Witch came out, people would have been talking about it as much as they do The Love Witch, which... You know, interesting. I, I I think Starry Eyes has more fans than mm. uh, than uh, the Black Coat's Daughter, sadly. But next time we'll be talking about the 2013 film Coherence. I know nothing about it, and Bartek knows a little. So we will be going over that. So give it a watch for your for yourself, and then come back and join us for the magical ride of horror and or creepiness. Who knows where it'll land? Maybe Bartek's recommended. Uh, a, a spooky clown movie is one of those. <laughs> Tim Curry comes in and he's just like spooky clown again. He's just doing his Pennywise bullshit. Who knows? I'll find out with you next week. Thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to us Babylon about a Catholic horror film. Hey, should we oh, do more ba- Catholic ba- horror Babylon. films? 
Oh, you said like Babylon. Like, what about Babylon? Babylon Five. Thank you very much. Not even Babylon Five. Just what about Babylon? What, what about what about Babylonia? What about Damien Chazelle's what a, Babylon? What about yeah. what about Rivers of Babylon by Bonnie M? Uh, okay, thank you very much. Hey, it's a good song. Uh, we can be found on social media under Spit and Polish Presents, and you can email us over at spitandpolished at gmail.com. If you have recommendations for us, if you have films that you want us to cover, to talk about, hit us up uh, at our social media or our email address. And if you just want to chat with us, just let us know your opinions on movies we've discussed or things that we have said on the podcast. Hit us up and uh, we'll we'll chat with you. We'll talk mm. with you. Bartek has a nice little back and forth relationship with YouTube comments. So we have our YouTube yeah, page does, as well. Yeah. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Who is this Bartek? I'm Iktek. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Bartek had this quick glance in his eyes of, where, where are you going with it? Oh, yeah, I am Iktek. Um, no, that's that's what I was leading up to. Oh, I stole your Iktek. Sorry. Well, I mean, I'm happy that you did because it's like, I'll oh, steal you, your soul you remember time. the continuity. Yeah. I have a continuity. I was just taken aback like, oh, you said instead of me. That's nice. Uh, and that is the podcast. Remember to be kind to each other or... Or a little blonde girl with dark eyebrows is going to call you a cunt. I loved that scene. We didn't talk about that scene enough, but her going crazy, I just found it so enjoyable. I never found, I never felt like once she started going pale and her hair was going, or when she had to pray. Oh my god! When they're like, "Come on, do the prayer," and she's just smiling, like she's cracking up. Do the up. grace. Do the grace, and she's just like looking at the other Rose's hands locked in, and she's just judging. That was so, hey, uh, you know, we, so good. We did have a many years ago spooky month and grace thing happen. Oh yeah, it was when we did uh, the the. Wolf Creek 2, and I said Grace. Oh, thank you yeah. for reminding me. And you, and you liked it because I didn't make a joke out of it. I was, like, really sincere or something. I like sincere <laughs> yeah. Bartek. Very rare to see that, but I like mm. it nonetheless. Yeah. Um, I got an email, <gasps> and, uh, you know, normally when you get an email, it's like, oh, you know, spam or someone I know, you know, two equally awful things. Yes. Um, but this email actually seemed, like, really horror-focused, so I thought maybe I'll, like, read it out. Okay. So, um, the subject heading is, let me see, the secret to nailing all the pussy you want. <laughs> uh, 15-inch black monster. <laughs> No! 